Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Country boys and girls getting down on the phone. Come on around back Arizona. Out to the back 40. It's the first Saturday of the month, so it's our farm fresh segment here in our outdoor living hour. And we try and connect local commodities coming off of our farms and ranch in real time with you, the Arizona homeowner and consumer, providing you the best nutrition for your home castle or cabin and all those that you feed. And we've got Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, in studio with us. And to talk ancient grains, you've brought a special guest in. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this segment and what we're going to talk about. The Sossaman family from uh, the East Valley, specifically Queen Creek, and Steve Sossaman and his daughter Caroline are with us in studio today. And, you know, we want to get right into it because we're going to be talking about ancient grains, but everything else you've grown. So, Steve, I'm going to hand it over to you and ask you, you know, tell us about the Sossaman family. I'd love to. I know some of it started because of a natural disaster that happened in Texas. So <laughs> yes. give us the lowdown. Okay. Well, we're, we're pretty excited to be here with you. And thank you so much for having us in here and telling our story. But yes, uh, family came out of Texas in the early teens. And a uh, big hurricane wiped out all the pigs, wiped out all the cotton. And uh, so then my great-grandparents uh, came on the train into Arizona. And at that time, uh, settled in right at kind of 19th Street in the river bottom. Oh, wow. And uh, farmed a little bit down there and built houses and were, you know, carpenters and whatever. And uh, about a little time after that, there was a, a lottery, um, kind of like the, the land rush. And so they uh, were able to homestead. Got two lottery tickets that they won, and so we had 260-acre pieces. Went out to Queen Creek area. At that time, it was known as Pozo. Look it up on a map. Who knows what Pozo is, but (laughs) probably was a a stop on the railroad. Um, And uh, carved out the the farm out there out of the raw desert. Uh, Drilled the first well in 1919. and at that time, uh, it was uh, my great-grandmother, uh, grandf- great-grandfather, their two boys. And um, grandfather went to uh, San Diego in and, and, uh, First World War and served oh, on wow. the destroyer over there. Thank you for his service. Yeah. And uh, so San Diego's always been a kind of a cool place for our family. Um, but then the first pandemic. And my great-grandfather uh, died in that in 1921, in that very first pandemic. Here we are in our second one. Yes. So our family's been through a couple. No. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but at God that time, him. they uh, started out growing vegetables and uh, for the mines up in uh, Superior Globe, Miami. And so that's where the market was. Labor was here. All hand done. You know, so broccoli and cauliflower and things like that. And talk about transportation back then. Oh, my god! All gosh. the way from Queen Creek. Yes, all yep. the way, all day long, drive up to the mines and then drive back down in those old two-ton trucks. And, Amazing. And uh, out of the, out of the I, I think the resilience of my great-grandmother, Nancy, was the amazing part of this thing. And today, you know, I brought my daughter, Caroline. We have three girls, my wife. Um, they have their businesses, and women uh, rule. Women rule. <laughs> I tell you what. And so you know, carving yourself out in the desert, living in a tent, oh, and, God bless and at, them. The, at the time, and then drilling your own, digging your own well, and then starting to plant crops. 
And today you're still there. We'll talk about some of the crops that the family has grown. Okay, so we started out in vegetables and then uh, moved into cotton. First first year of cotton was 1922. They lifted the restriction on long staple cotton um, because during that time it had to be grown across the country for tire cord for the World War One. And so they lifted it in 22. We started growing cotton then. Then moved into potatoes um, in the late 20s and, and into the 30s. Uh, grew a lot of potatoes in that Queen Creek soil, very sandy, uh, very well known for its potatoes across the country. Then uh, probably got out of the potato thing in the 50s and then stayed in cotton and grains. And one of the new ones was in the early 70s, we had the Green Revolution that happened um, uh, down in Mexico, the Rockefeller Foundation went down there and basically saved Mexico from starvation because they had a problem with their wheat. And they crossed uh, wheat and rye, two things that would never happen, and it was known as triticale. And we were the first farm in the North in the United States to actually grow triticale. So interesting. It's pretty popular now. Yeah, it's popular yeah. now. So even if you, there's even whiskey made out of it. So um, we've had a long history with uh, wheat, cotton, um, it, but sugar beets and, you know. Just I almost everything, it seems just like. Just about everything. So on those potatoes, I would imagine that your family took them to the processing potato plant right there on, is it Williamsfield and Higley? Yeah, there was, a, there was a place there. But the vast majority uh, where all those potatoes came to downtown Phoenix and they sold at a market down here. I mean, all the growers were bringing their product. Okay. And they had a vast market downtown. Um, and then they would trade and sell down here. Then also, when the railroad came out into the Queen Creek area, then the potato sheds, everything was loaded on rail cars. So cool. Yeah. Caroline, <laughs> what's your take on this amazing family heritage that the Sossamans can claim? Well, I mean, it's an honor to be in the legacy of very strong women um, <laughs> from <the> homesteading. <laughs> there you and, go. you know, everyone in my family and, of course, my dad. But... And I love working with the family and just kind of what we're doing now, 100 years running the farm. Um, but we're always, you know, moving with future practices and, you know, getting really into, you know, soil conservation and finding these new varieties of grain and, you know, working with, yeah, we're kind of doing a lot of everything grain-centric now. So And so for the Arizona family listeners, here's this heritage, here's this generational mm -hmm. heritage, because Steve, you're fourth generation, Caroline, you're yep. fifth generation, and you're specifically working in agriculture. Um, I have uh, staying, well, isn't this the month of women, too? Women's mm -hmm. History so, Month, yeah. <laughs> Women's History Every month? Every month at my house. Yes. So I have to give some props to having the honor of interviewing uh, Steve, your grandmother, Caroline, it would be your great-grandmother, Faith, several years ago for the little small side business I used to have where I would document people, families' histories, which, by the way, thanks to Arizona Farm Bureau, I still get to do. But I, one thing that struck me about that interview way back then was her strength, her resilience. She was even a little suspicious about why I was interviewing her, <laughs> which I love that part of it. And um, it's just amazing to see these generational that transition in generation, and then you're keeping that heritage going. The last year, late last year, Arizona Farm Bureau recognized you as a century farm during our annual meeting. And uh, by the way, we just, since you were unable to attend that one, we just passed the sign on to you. But, you know, what do you think were some of the key elements to ensuring 100 years of continuous business? I mean, well, here, here we are. I'm hanging out with a family that's been in business for 100 years in agriculture. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. But I, I go back to the resilience of my great grandparents, and then you know, our family. You know, back in the 1700s, three brothers came from Germany to America, and they were all in agriculture, kind of spread out. So you know, our leg of the family came through the South and through Texas and whatnot. And that resilience to to just keep forging ahead, going out into new areas. I mean, Texas to Arizona, desert, no water, no rain, uh, pretty amazing. And then, you know, to carve that out, then my grandmother, uh, not my great-grandmother, but my grandmother, Faith, that you mentioned, she graduated from Tempe Normal, which is ASU today. So cool. As Go a teacher. devils. <laughs> and she was the first teacher in Queen Creek, one-room really? schoolhouse, ah. teaching the kids that did not speak English, the Mexican kids. And so and when they learned to speak English, then they would be mainstreamed into the classes that you could understand English. She noticed they weren't being fed very well. Uh, when they came to school, they can't learn because they're, you know, they're hungry. hungry. So she went and bought a cow. She bought a cow, and that was the first cow, so she could bring milk to school, which she did. We grew vegetables. She brought vegetables to school, and once in a while, venison, because my grandfather hunted deer. And I think that was the very first school lunch program. Wow. And once those kids got fed, they could learn, and things happened. Maybe and that was actually the start of our dairy. So back then we... You we, even had a dairy. We even had a dairy into the 70s. It makes me think that might be... She was the one that started making sure that kids were fed well, and now we have the national program. Yeah. You know, service, politics and service, uh, both you and your dad, we need to talk about your dad, Jamie. Uh, <laughs> both of you were Maricopa County Farm Bureau presidents. And then talk a little bit about your dad's service yeah. In the legislature. Yeah. Back in the late 60s, he got asked to uh, run um, with some other legislators in our area in Queen Creek in the district out there. And uh, at that time, our family's always been in public service. My grandfather, irrigation district, you name it, Farm Bureau. So my dad said yes and ran and um, got into the legislature. And he was there both in the House and the Senate. He was also Speaker of the House, 24-year uh, career. Um, and I would label him as a true statesman, um, which is somebody who has the state in mind whenever there's legislation out there. I, I learned from him that to work with other people, no matter where they come from, no matter what their background is or their political bent, but to uh, always come together on that. I, um, I enjoyed that. I, I lobbied at the legislature. We got a lot of things done. Um, I was going to ASU when we got the, the student regent bill passed. Really? Yeah, so I, got, I was part of that. Um, a lot of other things. And then I felt when I wanted to get into politics a little bit, I wanted it more local. So uh, myself and two others, uh, we went down and lobbied and got um, – uh, our town incorporated. So the town of Queen Creek got incorporated, the three of us, kind of the founding fathers. Uh, and that was great. I got to be the second mayor. Um, and I've been on active in the town politics for many, many years, planning and zoning and whatnot, but always available to help um, our local town and plan our community. So I enjoyed that. Your mom and dad are so gracious. Um, I just love, we've done some profile stories on both you and Chris, your wife, and then your mom and dad. And one of the things that strikes me about them, and I so agree with that whole statesman attitude, they never seem to have their own agenda. They're thinking of the greater good for other people. And um, Salsaman Road is named after you guys, right? Correct. Yes, it is. Aha! Aha! Scored they, 10 points hey, this morning. <laughs> I can find my way home. More than just a name, you've heard Detour Dan mentioned a thousand times in your 
Morning Drive. We've got Julie Murphy, Arizona Farm Bureau spokeswoman, and the Sossamans in studio with us. Metal combine singing, ours are insane. I'm honest in this field of some hazy grain. I'm harvesting this field of some hazy grain. Peterson Brothers, right? Yeah. There I they love are those again. guys. There they are again. Well, we kind of mentioned the crops that you guys grow, but you're really specializing now in the ancient grains or and heritage grains. So we kind of want to concentrate on that in this segment because that is the commodity of the month for the month of March here in 2022. So first question, how do you guys, how did you get into ancient grains? Well, a good friend of mine who owns uh, Hayden Flower Mills, which is, yes. you know, from the original Hayden family down in Tempe on, guess what, Mill Avenue, um, has a long history, uh, started in 1872 by Mr. Hayden, and then um, went out of business in the 90s, and a good friend of mine, Jeff Zimmerman, uh, said, listen, I want to revive that name, and I want to revive that brand, and I want to mill Stone Mill Grain, but I want to do the same varieties that that Charles Hayden would have done back in the 1870s. So awesome. So awesome. Very unique. And he came out to me. He goes, I've been searching for two years for somebody to help me do this. And farmers are like, nah, I don't know what that is, but I'll rent you ground and blah, blah, blah. So I said, well, how much are we talking right off the bat? And he goes, oh, about 30 acres and three varieties. And I'm like, well, I've got 1,000 acres. What the heck? Let's try this. And I've always told people, always say yes, okay? Because you never know what opportunity is going to happen here. So I said, yes, let's do this. I had no clue what's going on. But I've grown grain in the past. So he was able to secure three varieties, all, all old varieties, and we grew those the first year. And they did fantastic. And the reason is the, the, all these grains came from the Fertile Crescent, Iran, uh, Afghanistan, Egypt, that area. Iraq, climate similar to ours. Same climate, same soil, you know, low water use, never been hybridized. And so it, they flourish here in our, in our hot desert. So that's how I started uh, with that. And we've been growing for them. Uh, it's our 11th year now. And it's come from uh, a few varieties. Now we have like a dozen varieties. Really? And majority of it was for flour through Hayden Flour Mills or coast to coast now through all the stores. And we also, after hiring my son-in-law, another family member, a few years ago, he has now expanded the brewing and whiskey distilling side of our grain business. Excellent. So a lot of the beers in the valley here uh, come with from our grains, and it's always exciting to do that. Now, one of the, let me just one of those varieties was uh, is called White Sonora. That's our most popular. And it came um, out of Mexico when Father Kino came from Spain to the New World. And when he came over, he brought this white Sonoran wheat with him. It's very light-colored wheat, um, low protein, great for making flatbreads and, and tortillas. But the reason he got it and brought it is because they wanted to convert everybody in the New World to Catholicism. And you need a wheat wafer. Sure. There's no wheat over here. So if we're going to do it, we got to bring our own wafers, right? So as they moved up from Mexico into California, into Arizona, so over 200 years ago, and that grain came out of Mexico, uh, an organization in Tucson called Native Seed Search knew about this. They recover seeds all over the Southwest, and it's like a giant seed bank down there in Tucson. Excellent group. Excellent group. So they the ones that found this and then kind of grew it from a coffee can that this lady in Mexico had, 
hence Sonoran, you know, white wheat, they then, that was the first grain that we grew. And it's a very sweet, uh, uh, flavorful grain, um, great for making beer because of the low protein, but it imparts a lot of flavor. And you're thinking, hey, this is a great story. Really, Steve? Now, you know, did you make all this up? And they go, well, let's, let's, let's go down there. So they went down to the Pueblo, like in Tubac. They had some old adobe bricks down there, and they knew that the straw was used in making those bricks. And they said, let's find some seeds. So they found some seeds that were inside those bricks, did a DNA test, exact same seed. Wow. Okay, so you verified it. It's a fascinating story, and it's amazing. And I've been in the tour through the milling plant, as I call it, Mm -hmm. uh, out in Queen Creek, on your place, correct? So, Caroline, I have a question for you. Why do you get inspired to be in this aspect of the family farm business? Well, I originally worked for Hayden Flour Mills for about seven years, um, kind of when we they started, you know, milling in their garage and doing farmer's markets, you know, we had a very small customer base, and then we kind of moved up to, um, you know, an, a national brand now and working with the family, um, you know, having the grain and having the mill actually move out to the farm in Queen Creek, um, just being surrounded by all of it. I just wanted to be in every aspect of, you know, the grain and the farming. And um, so moving from the flour mill to now I'm working for Grain R&D, doing sourcing, and we do grain cleaning, and we send it off and get it malted. So we sell to breweries now and um, make it into beer, whiskey. It's been a a fun time. (laughs) (laughs) And it's keeping that next generation in the farm business. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the aspects. We don't talk about that enough, but you have to diversify. And that's probably what's made the Sussman family survive is the the diversification. You haven't stuck with just one thing you do on the farm. No, we haven't. And and I think we we move with the times. And as you know, in our area is growing rapidly like other parts of the valley here. And we're surrounded by houses. So it's, it's, gotten away from some of the crops that are not dirty but dusty and, and require a lot of work out in the field so a lot of alfalfa is what we grow now right. we rotate in with our grain crops another one that's very calm around neighbors and things like that um, but you're right diversification and then farming practices um, you know I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but I've received some national awards on farming practices that are very innovative for our area. And I've been into no-till, minimum till for years now, Um, saying time, fuel, labor, all those things. But you have to move with those times. Yep. Sweat sweating in my t-shirt, squishing them bugs, eating minivan meals in the field. What a sight. Hey, that's how we do, how we do. Farming like. <laughs> it's the first Saturday of the month, 8 o'clock hour, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the house. So we're talking farm fresh commodities. We've got Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau in studio with Steve Sossaman and his daughter Carolyn Sossaman, the fourth and fifth generation Sossaman farmers uh, here in Arizona, came over from uh, Germany, then Texas, then Arizona, and, and they you're stayed. on your 103rd year of farming. Yes. And, you know, I every comment to the ancient grains, you made me think of some other questions. One of the uh, little tidbits that most people probably don't know, and I only learned because I'm kind of a nerd and a little bit geeky and I love facts, but the deep roots of ancient grains allow farmers to pull nutrients and long-forgotten flavors from the soil. 
And I hope I say this right. Like wine, we have our own terroir. terroir. Now I can't say it because I'm live on the radio. But uh, terroir. Mm-hmm. And You nailed it in the okay. break. <laughs> I nailed it in the break, but what's my problem? But it's perfect conditions, and that's one of the reasons why you guys are growing it so well, correct? Yeah, that's one of the reasons. I, I did my research also, uh, and it, there's not much out there. So I'm reading books from the 1800s to find some of this stuff here. But if we uh, look at this uh, grain, it grown in the, in the Fertile Crescent, Middle East, uh, very deep soil, sandy, just like we have here. Those roots went down 10 feet into the soil. Unlike hybridized, which in America, we took our wheat, hybridized it because we shortened um, the stature of the, of the grain so it wouldn't blow over in the wind. I mean, these ancient grains are very tall, but as we hybridized, we shortened them. We, we planted them in the prairies, which is the grasslands, and they didn't need to be very tall, so they shortened them. When you, when you dwarf the top of the plant, you also dwarf the root system. Sure. And so we dwarf the root system. It doesn't need to be too deep in the mid, Midwest, um, so maybe you know, three, three to five feet. Well, we now today, with these ancient uh, varieties going into the soil 10 feet deep, you're bringing up elements and nutrients and minerals that we've chefs have never tasted before and amazing flavors. And so, you know, we grow these grains, uh, Hayden flour mills, they make all these flours, but they also make crackers. And I could set four different crackers out there that you would taste and every one of them would be totally different. I mean, from nutty to earthy to sweet. Um, and they are so tasty. And I they are them. so tasty because those flavors are coming from deep in the soil. And like you said, terroir, I'm glad you speak French. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but like grapes, you can grow a Cabernet grape uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, but it's always going to have that different flavor from the ground and the soil and the climate it came from. And these grains, um, they grow in other places. I mean, you know, North Dakota, Wyoming, wherever, Texas, have a slightly different flavor, but they all have that um, uh, deep-rooted uh, where they come from to bring up those flavors. One of, and, and you think, well, where do we get these seeds from? You know, if they're that old, well, we're kind of like seed detectives. You know, we go on the Internet, we look around, we talk to other, other places that might have tried to grow it and didn't work out or whatever. And one of the ones we discovered about three years ago is called Rouge Bordeaux. Since we brought up the French angle here, why not? So Napoleon and his army, they're going into Russia. Oh, we're getting back to Russia. Dang it. Okay, anyway, this is history. Uh, they go into Russia. All the Moscovites leave, right? They leave them there with their horses and their soldiers, and they freeze to death. And Napoleon says, we're out of here. So they leave. They go back to France. And on the way, they grab some sacks of seed. And it is some wheat seed, and it was made for making bread there. And, well, they're like, okay, we're going to take this with us because they're not here, and we're going to pillage. They take it, and they take it to the Bordeaux region of France, which is a little bit warmer area, and they start growing this red wheat in Bordeaux, France, Rouge Bordeaux. And so we have now scaled up just this last year and this year as a uh, hard red wheat for bread, amazing flavor, and that's the history of that one. And you guys are also growing Jesus wheat. Yes, from the Bible. We all know about that. So at that time, over 3,000 years ago, they're growing uh, in Egypt, and that's one of our, that's our oldest one. Emmer, uh, another name is Pharaoh, named after the Pharaohs. Interesting. So 
that's that's another wheat that we grow. It has to be uh, has a hole on it, which is unlike modern wheats, and we dehull it in our system and then use that. Uh, imparts a very interesting flavor to uh, bread. So they'll do a mix of farro flour with uh, more of a, a modern wheat uh, flour to give a really nice uh, nutty flavor to the bread. And for listeners that are getting hungry because you want you'll want to try some of this high flavor. Uh, profile type of wheats, go to Hayden Mills. Is Haydenflourmills.com. Haydenflourmills.com. And they can also access it. They're in Sprouts, Whole Foods. Fries. Um, fries. It's yeah. all over. And is that what I'm looking for is the Hayden Mills brand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll see the Red Rose and, yeah, they stone mill all of their grain that most of it is grown locally here on Queen Creek. How does um, a rose become the symbol of a wheat company? So back in the day they had um, different color are they different types of flour sacks where they would store, you know, all the um, flour in that they would mill, and it would have different flours on the sack because it was soft like a flower petal. You know, they would mill the flour so finely and sift it to a, a grade that it was very soft and like a flower. Aww. So now we've kind of, it's an old design. Um, they still use it, um, but they've kind of modernized it, and now it's their, their main logo. Caroline, we talked on the break about the Good Food Award. Talk talk to us about that. Yeah, so the Good Food Awards, they're an organization in San Francisco, um, but they kind of uh, reach out um, nationally to small food makers, um, growers, you know, every aspect of food. So they have, you know, a grain category. They'll do beer, wine, um, chocolate, you know, everything. But thousands of applicants will send in um you know, blind samples of their product, and they go through all of those and they pick the winners. So I submitted our white Sonora wheat and then our malted white Sonora wheat, and we won um, the award for 2022. Awesome. (laughs) Congratulations. And that's very impressive considering how competitive. I've heard that it's quite competitive. But it's a great organization. They do good work, and um, it's really exciting to win again. (laughs) See, this is why you have ladies in your organization and to have my daughter in charge of special projects like this is uh, is amazing I mean, we did, went through a project um a year ago or two years ago uh in which we grew out um samples of ancient grains to get their baking properties or milling properties and their growing properties we worked with um North Dakota State University, uh, U of A, uh, even though I went to ASU. Um, and so Caroline was in charge of that. We had collected all the data and got all the testing done. And, and she did she did a great job uh, of doing that. What exactly is the distinction between Sossaman Farms and Grain R&D? It's just another division of the business. Right. And what its role is, a lot of this, obviously, R&D. Mm-hmm. Correct. So Sossaman Farms is kind of the head of everything. Um, but Grain R&D... Since we grew grain um, under Sossman Farms for so long and sold it to, you know, flour mills, we wanted to get into breweries and, you know, other uh, mills or malters. So we created grain R&D so we could, you know, we got specialized equipment, um, custom built. Uh, we have, you know, color sorting, size sorting. So we can do a whole bunch of things that we couldn't do before um, and give a customer a more specialized product. Um, for all the grain. And so you really are growing and milling Mm -hmm. for the customer. So I have a lot of confidence that there's going to be another 100 years of Sossaman Farms when I hear the innovation and the 
transitions you've made based on what's going on in society. So is Sossaman around for another hundred years? It will be around for a long time in one form or another. And as we said, we have to innovate, we have to change. And as we move forward to um, uh, in time, as the houses move in, we are maintaining um, our homestead, um, our headquarters there where our grain operation is, and probably going to expand that and maybe getting to the malting uh, aspect of that, which our, our, our breweries in the Valley will be greatly um, excited about. And, and again, for our listeners, and of course, uh, some of our loyal lis- listeners really enjoy and tune into the Farm Fresh Hour from 8 to 9, we've got a lot of our bre- local breweries. So where would I go if I wanted to make sure that I was enjoying some of this heritage grain or, or uh, ancient grain because they put it in the mix of their product? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of our um, most popular uh breweries would probably be Ren House and Phoenix and Prescott and then Arizona Wilderness. Yes. And um, a new one, Roses by the Stairs, is going to open in Phoenix soon. And then the Shop Brewing, um, Old Ellsworth and Queen Creek. We love Old Ellsworth. Yes. They helped <laughs> us with our Centennial beer. So mm-hmm. they are good people. In fact, a lot of these local breweries, I was, again, some of those uh, crazy statistics that I pull up. Most Americans are within 10 miles of a local brewery, Mm -hmm. little fact there. And when we know that there are breweries committed to using some of the local product that Sossaman Farms, examples like Sossaman Farms grow, it's pretty exciting. The other thing, though, that this causes me to think is you've always innovated as things have changed. What do you think has been that trigger for the family to be that quick do you look around the corner before everybody else is, or what do you think is a Sossaman gift for doing that? Well, I don't know if there's a gift there, but I think I take my cues from my grandparents, my grandfather, my grandmother, that they just didn't sit still. They were always, you know, we had two other farms. We had one in New Mexico, one in Colorado. In New Mexico, we grew uh, castor beans for castor oil. Uh, World War II used a lot of oil still because they still were using leather uh, back then. And then also in Colorado, uh, we had our farm up there to grow uh, potato seeds. And you, you, you grow, always grow your seeds elsewhere because of the diseases, and we'd bring those down to Arizona. But also innovated at that time, say, okay, we're going to get rid of those farms, focus on one area. It's the only way to do it. And then, you know, my, and then be involved in public service, which always opens you up to opportunities and to other people and ideas. I've always been involved in national organizations from, you know, Cotton Incorporated, U.S. Wheat Associates, travel to other countries, see what they're doing, travel to other parts of the United States to see what other farmers are doing. And can I take those uh, ideas and bring them home? Um, that's just kind of something that I, it's exciting to do. And like I said before, always say yes. And then I don't even know what the question is, but I said yes. So I want to find out stuff. And I'm always, in, I'm always inquisitive. And you know what? You only learn from your failures. You know, success, you just keep on going. But your failures, they teach you. And so farming, it, it's not making a living. It's making a life. And that's how I feel about that. And well said. The other thing that I wanted to ask you guys as a generational farm, it's not just Caroline that's kind of involved in the business. You've Your wife, Chris, has a tea business. So what are the, what's the other spouse and the other siblings doing? 
Well, my wife, my beautiful wife, um, started a tea business several years ago because she just couldn't find any good tea around. And I so love she, her tea, by the way. Yeah, tea royalty, uh, whole leaf tea, flavored tea. She does all of her purveying from around the world and then does her own uh, custom blends. Um, and we don't that. grow tea in Arizona. It, or in America. <laughs> she is localizing it by yeah. mixing and blending. Yeah, and so that um, I hired my son-in-law several years ago to run Grain R&D. And uh, doesn't he come from a farm family too? He is. He's from the west side. He's a Tomachov. And you know those Russians out there. They, <laughs> they know how to work. They know how to work. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you got the Russians from the west side and the Germans from the east side. So, you know, we're a blended family. Uh, but we get along. <laughs> Mr. Steve Sossaman, you brought in a lot of uh, history and world culture, and I had pulled an article out of the Epoch Times talking about Russia and Ukraine and how much of the global grain is grown that they supply and the amount of countries that rely on grain out of there. Like uh, 50% of all of Ukraine's wheat is delivered to Libya, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Egypt, and the history that you're talking about, you know, you've got the, the generational families that are growing them there. Well, y'all are from that era and the, the Tomachoffs and you're bringing that all right here to Arizona and growing. And what, what are all the different ways somebody could get one of your grains? I mean, you've got the flowers. Can you get the actual wheat grain if somebody wanted to mill their own and make their own bread from scratch? I mean, what, what are ways people can enjoy this legacy heritage of wheat y'all have brought here, the ancient grains? Well, the easiest would be to go to your a grocery store, Whole Foods, Fry's, um, and uh, buy a Hayden products, crackers, uh, pancake mixes, flour mixes. Um, another easy way to do it is order a beer, um, if you're so inclined, um, at one of the breweries that, yes. that they make it. And it, usually on the label, it'll say uh, our name or made with Sonoran wheat. Um, and then whiskey, um, there's um, Grand Canyon distillers are making whiskey and a few others. But um, that's the easiest way to do it um, is to go to your grocery store and do it. We, uh, when we do sell grain, we sell 2,000-pound totes or 50-pound bags of whole grain um, is what we do. And we also have other, um, just to give a shout-out, Pinal County uh, friend, uh, farmers down there that uh, we contract with to grow oh, for awesome. us. And because, again, a low water use. It's a very, you know, water savings, low fertilizer. So, uh, you know, if you're looking for the environmental impact, um, it's, it's, a, it's a great way um, to, you know, grow something. Good to hear that Pinal County is my stomping grounds when I grew up on the farm. And you can always sign up for the newsletter at Hayden Mills because Hayden Mills, yeah. yes, because um, they will let you know new product releases, what they're really kind of pushing. And Jennifer on the break just mentioned that to us a couple of years ago. She ordered the pancake breakfast mix from Hayden Mills, and they sent all of the ki- she sent to all the kids, all six kids, and you guys could all enjoy pancakes regardless of where you were in the country and that's the other neat thing about it the way you guys have scaled this now there's access uh, nationwide basically exactly and what dad wants to cook pancakes for his kids on saturday morning and he rolls them out and they're purple purple (laughs) barley pancakes i tell you what the kids love that stuff and i love them because they're so tasty 
Yeah, and that's the other thing, going back to the taste, the flavors. It's high-taste profile flavors. If you can uh, enjoy that and discover some of these ancient grains that are grown right here in Arizona. Uh, Our agriculture is actually ancient here in the state. We talk a lot about modern-day agriculture technology improvements, but our heritage here in Arizona goes back a 1,000 years thanks to the Native Americans. I want to give some props, though, to Arizona Farm Bureau on the fact that this family has been members for years. What's compelled you over the decades to hang out with Arizona Farm Bureau? Why do you like Arizona Farm Bureau? (laughs) (laughs) That's like asking you why you like your favorite friends. Because (laughs) they're fun to be with, they're smart, they're innovative, and you get to learn stuff. And for when I was starting out in farming as a young buck, I wanted to be with fellow farmers. I wanted to learn from the older dudes, you know, and from guys my age, because we're just wet behind the ears, just don't know it. And Farm Bureau offered that to me. It, it was like a family uh, and, and, and mentors that I could go to other than just my dad uh, and to learn things and find out what's going on. And you felt so included the first time you got together. Um, it just felt like the best family reunion you've ever had. And so I got involved at the county level, became county president when I was 25, and went from there. And I've always enjoyed um, just the camaraderie and the interaction I get from Farm Bureau. And now, you know, with services, with, you know, insurance and, and, and financial planning and things like that, um, it, it's a great family to be a part of. And we've imposed on our farmers and ranchers. And I, even though I'm a retired farmer, I pay the Aggie level um, $142 in most counties. And then Maricopa County and Yuma, it's 180 bucks. But if you're a non-farmer, and actually the majority of our members are non-farmers, it's only 59 bucks a year. I mean, that's kind of like buying one of those big coupon books that you buy from your kids from school because they're trying to raise money. But yet, um, Arizona Farm Bureau, we just celebrated 100 years. And so we're right behind the Sossamans in that pretty impressive and exciting historical marker. Where is Arizona Ag in 100 years, if we can answer that? One of the things that I've seen in Arizona Ag is that we've moved away from the urbanized areas and out, you know, to the the less urbanized areas. And our gross acres in the state hasn't changed a whole lot. Really? Uh, Over time, we get pushed out into areas. Those farmers and those dairies, they they, uh, have fresh capital. Um, they line ditches, they drill wells, they level, laser level the land. That land becomes more productive than it was, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, Yuma, you know, is Yuma the is vegetable amazing. basket yep. of the world, practically, mm-hmm. or U.S. for a long time. Um, plenty of water, plenty of sunshine, um, a lot of veggies down there. So I think as we transform as a state, you'll just see less of it close to houses. Okay. Well, you know, that's kind of encouraging because uh, one of the comments I get a lot from my non-Aggie network is, oh, my gosh, it's so depression. <laughs> and they're the ones that bought one of those houses that went over <laughs> farmland. But they get kind of discouraged. But we can know that we're going to be here for another 100 years, the Sossamans and Arizona Farm Bureau. Fillyourplate.org, and you can also get your far- annual Farm Bureau membership there and find additional local farm fresh commodities. 